All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from New York City on the 11th of May, 2021. I do like to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. We like to uh, plug Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com for that and Michael Oliver's olivermsa.com to uh, pick up his excellent letter that uses momentum and structure to help people know what's going to hit them or where they might uh, do well or where they might want to stay away from. And we'll be talking to Michael in just a a few minutes uh, about his latest thoughts on some of these key markets. Uh, I want to thank all of you for... Uh, listening to this show and making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I always encourage you to send along your questions, whatever comments you might have, to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors uh, because without them, we wouldn't have a show. Our sponsors this week Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., Eloro Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, SK Mining Corp., Firefox Gold, and Lion One Metals. I've titled today's show, Why Rising Inflation is Not Transitory. John Williams, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver return this week. Peter Buchvar told us last week that the Fed actually believes that rising inflation rates are transitory, but in their cockamamie thinking, they would like inflation not to be transitory. Given their acceptance of the Keynesian religion, they actually believe that inflation is good and that it is evidence of economic growth. Of course, That is preposterous. You can't create wealth by printing money, and those of us who lived as adults through the double-digit stagflation of the 1970s learned that inflation is not a good thing. Or just check your history books and ask yourself if hyperinflation in in the Weimar Republic was a good thing as it led to Adolf Hitler. The fact is you can have very robust economic growth in an environment of declining prices as as America did, and in fact, outright deflation at times, it has nothing to do with actual real economic growth. John Williams will join me in the second half of today's show to explain uh, why this recent rise in inflation is not transitory and why contrary to the thinking at the Federal Reserve, it bodes ill for the economic well-being of most Americans who drink, at least those who drink the Kool-Aid of the mainstream propaganda. The fact is, as Alistair McLeod has said many times on this show, The Fed is at the same point as the Bank of France was during the Mississippi bubble. To keep interest rates from rising and thus sending our economy into a horrific depression, 
the Fed has to now hyperinflate the currency simply to buy treasuries to support the treasury prices lest they fall uh, dramatically and interest rate rise interest rates rise and send our economy into a tailspin. Right after our first commercial break, in just a few minutes from now, Dr. Quentin Henning will join me to provide an update on Irving Resources. It's a company that is teaming up with Newmont to move very a very unique gold deposits uh, toward in Japan toward what has the potential to become very high margin, low capital cost gold mines. Given an absence of news of late, Irving shares have drifted to less than half of where they traded last summer. So I'm really looking forward to what Quentin has to say about what's going on uh, in Japan on behalf of Irving and uh, also their uh, growing relationship with Newmont. Uh, but right now I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with us once again to help us understand how we should view the markets, not on the basis of propaganda from the Federal Reserve or the Treasury, but on the basis of co- the collective wisdom of markets, which Michael's momentum and structure work, I believe, assesses uh, what is actually going on in the markets as well as any technical analyst I've ever followed, which is why we like to have him on as often as we can have him. So thank you for joining us again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. It's really good to be back. And you said something the last time we had you on two weeks ago. Uh, you said that something that I think is very important for gold share investors because there's always a concern among us uh, that uh, are heavily invested in gold shares that you know, even though gold and silver, gold even more than silver, tends to be to move in the opposite direction of markets and the mainstream assets, one uh, everything gets taken down in a panic or in a, in a massive takedown, the equity markets, the bond markets, everything goes at the same time a lot of times. Um, the gold shares get taken down with it, but you suggested last time we talked, you saw sort of a layered decline coming and not a, not, not a cataclysmic all, all at once sort of a um, a panic, I guess, right? Right, in the stock market, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the market's topping, stock market. And mm-hmm. that's an important variable because consider this. You know, there's a lot of people out there thinking, including n- not free market folks, but who, who recognize this inflation is you know, kind of scary. And mm-hmm. uh, big asset managers who've never been gold bugs are, are spooked by it. And therefore, th- they're sort of putting pressure on the Fed to they don't let this get out of hand. Mm -hmm. Well, here's a variable that most people haven't entered into the mix. If the stock market, which has not been a negative for the Fed, at least for the last couple quarters, because it's Mm -hmm. gone vertical, it's not been a psychological negative, it's not been a market negative, so they haven't had to deal with that problem, Mm -hmm. problem that Bernanke defined as an important function of the Fed is to support the market. If that market suddenly goes bearish, now, I don't mean suddenly like a crash, but it starts down like a, the 2000 top or the 2007 top. And I mean, by the way, they didn't begin with crashes. They were mm-hmm. layered declines that fooled people all the way down until the tail mm-hmm. end. Uh, so you didn't get this uh, thing like we had last March. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you start to top the market, and I think we're there, I think we're starting to top, and I think that in the next several weeks we'll see more and more evidence of that. Then the Fed is going to have a whole new variable that's going to keep, keep them what? Doing what they're doing. They can't let mm-hmm. off because if that stock market becomes a negatory. And uh, even for people who aren't in the market, like uh, middle class folks that work at a factory or something, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be spooked because they know if their company stock goes down and the market goes down, they might get laid off. Mm-hmm. So it's going to affect their, their savings and spending, which, of course, the Fed wants them to spend. So... 
they're not, if that variable comes into, clicks into place, a negative stock market, uh, I think two things are going to happen, and they're both poised for that right now, and that's another rush back into T-bonds as an mm-hmm. alternative, a flight to safety, meaning drive prices up, yields down temporarily. Again, a panic type thing in terms of the buying of that, but a resumption in the gold mm-hmm. uh, to the upside as an alternative asset category. Uh, and also a realization by some large asset managers that, gee, if the stock market's going down, the Fed ain't never going to let off that pedal. Uh-huh. In which case, get me more gold, okay? So I think we've got to watch the stock market because I think it will benefit the gold market. Now, I think the only times when it hurts the gold stocks is when there is the margin call panic type event like we had in March mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or like we had in very late part of the bear market in 2008. But mm-hmm. in normal market declines, laborious bear markets, 2000, 2002, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that does not affect the gold miners. And right now, pause on this. Since August of last year, S&P's gone up. Gold miners have gone down, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so they're inverse. Now, lately, mm-hmm. the miners have turned sufficiently. Gold has turned sufficiently. Silver has turned sufficiently. For us to assume that was the low. Whatever low you saw in whatever of those categories, you saw the low for the pullback. The issue now only becomes at what point does the upside return back in line with the long-term trend in all these markets, gold miners, silver, and gold, get heated again. And I think Mm -hmm. it won't take too much. In other words, I think we could see that hot spot uh, be triggered in the next, uh, you know, four or five weeks. Probably coincident with several things. One, more Conviction that the stock market's going down, two, buying into the bond market, uh, fear buying. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is the dollar. The dollar has been a quiet beast, so is the euro, the major currencies, for five years. They've been, dollar's been stuck in about a 10% range. When you go back historically, that is a narrow range for the dollar to be in, meaning it's not been a, 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 a violent market. It's not been an, a, a wave creator. Dollar right now is down to the 90 level, dollar index. If it touches 89, which is 0.98 below yesterday's low, Mm 89.98, if you touch 89 again, I think they're going to unleash the beast on the downside. Mm -hmm. In which case, the foreign exchange markets, which have been quiet, could get noisy again and hence become a wave creator. And obviously Mm -hmm. that wave, if the dollar goes down further in a more dramatic way, will boost gold. Mm-hmm. So I think the situation is now very ripe for the gold folks uh, if they weathered the pullback. Uh, and a lot of them didn't. They got spooked. Uh, and yeah. One of our goals was to not spook our subscribers, to explain mm-hmm. to them, you better hold on because this is just a pullback. Yeah, well, you've done a very good job of that, uh, Michael, not just this time, but over the last several years since I've been following you, is to keep people from getting triggered out of gold at the wrong time. And there will come a time when you're going to tell people to sell gold, and uh, you did a very good job uh, at the beginning of the last bear market to get people out long before it bottomed. So, uh, you know, I'm depending on you, and I know a lot of people, a lot of your subscribers are as well. But I have to ask you this with just a minute or so left here, Michael. Um, what do you think it will take then for the T-bond and gold to detach? Do you think that will come with a, a very weak dollar, just, perhaps? A, a no, very I weak think dollar? it's just a function of the, the technicals of the bond market. I'm, I'm talking 10-year, 30-year, uh-huh. that type of you know, long-term. 
that's more out of the control of the Fed, not so much under their control. Uh, I th- we technically see justification for a very sharp rally that might last several months. That's probably going to be coincident with an initial decline in stocks. But after that rally is over, and I suspect that rally will come and go this year, when bonds turn down the next time, I expect them to sustain on the downside, meaning lower prices, higher yields, at which point they will divorce from gold, leaving of the two alternative asset categories to the stocks, namely T-bonds and gold, only one alternative, mm-hmm. monetary metals. Right. And I think that the linkage between T-bonds and gold, which still prevails, will persist for never several months. But once that next bond rally is over, and if it starts down again, we're going to turn major bearish on bonds mm-hmm. in all likelihood, uh-huh. meaning higher rates, meaning the Fed does not control the long end of the rate market, despite uh, their yeah. efforts. So the Fed loses control of the rate markets. Uh, and then I have to think there's got to be a real confidence issue when they realize that, that the Fed does no longer have control, if that, if that in fact, turns right. out to be the case. Uh, yeah. that, that will shake uh, everybody's confidence, I think. And, you know, most everybody still believes uh, in the fairy tale Fed, I would say, in spite of the yeah. horrible record since they came into being. It's just, <laughs> it's just incredible, right? Um, you right. Know, in, in any group. Yeah. But uh, hey, listen, Monty most Python people are flying circus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, for a technical analyst, you certainly do provide a lot of great uh, word pictures. Uh, no doubt about it, Michael. And that's uh, one of the things we appreciate about you. But most of all, what we appreciate about you is the accuracy and and the help that you've been to to me and many of our listeners. And I know your subscribers. It's OliverMSA.com, folks. OliverMSA.com. Seriously consider signing up for Michael's work because, I mean, he's just giving you a smidgen of what he provides for his uh, for his subscribers all week long. Very, very valuable, and I'm, I'm very grateful to have to have it coming in my inbox all the time. Michael, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll look to do it again in a couple of weeks. And thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. All righty. Okay, folks, well, uh, don't go away. We're going to be uh, right back uh, with Dr. Quentin Henning. He's going to talk to us about Irving Resources. It's a company that... Really, uh, share prices have drifted much lower, but nothing has changed as far as the project goes. It's as good as ever, probably better with Newmont Mining stepping into the story as well now. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Quentin Henning. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firebox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firebox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dr. Quentin Henning today to talk about Irving Resources. It's a company for which he serves as a member of the board and also as a technical advisor. Uh, the shares um, trading earlier today, I haven't looked in the last couple of hours, but trading it is just right around $2 in Canadian money. Uh, 61.9 million shares, uh, giving it a market cap of over 125 million in Canadian money. Um, it, you know, it traded at a high of four dollars and twenty cents in Canadian money last uh, last summer. So it's trading at about half of where it was then. Other than the fact that the gold uh, shares and gold in, in general has fallen a bit since then, uh, as we just heard from Michael, probably turning around, heading back north. Uh, now, but the fact uh, that nothing adverse has taken place with the company, um, as far as I know. Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the projects Irving is working on, it is important to understand that the company's business model is quite unique in that the veins that host gold in near vertical structures have a very high silica content, which means that the abundance of smelters in Japan are eager. Uh, to gain that material to use in recovery of base metals. As such, it will be actually uh, pay Irving. These, these smelters will actually pay Irving uh, for, not just for the gold that is recovered, but also for the silica uh, host rock that surrounds the, the gold that is uh, sent off to the smelters. What that means is that Irving's business model does not require the construction of costly mills. In fact, um, it keeps it... Keep the basic information. I think it's very important to keep that in mind. And, and the fact that they would get paid for the silica content, the host rock, along with the gold, uh, means that uh, it really, and not have to spend money on a mill, uh, means that it's a potentially very high margin business model. So that's one of the things that has really attracted me to the story. And uh, for an update on all that's going on, we're very grateful to Quentin for joining us today. Thanks for coming back again, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it is always good. Now, I wanted, before we get into an update on the exploration efforts of, of uh, Irving, uh, you just recently raised $6 million through the sale of, I think, 3.5 million shares or so to, to, uh, to Newmont, um, you know, one of the world's largest gold miners, and so obviously a very, a very uh, worthy uh, relationship you have there. But you just talked to us a little bit about your relationship with Newmont and what that might mean, in addition to the money they they throw into the pot, what that might mean um, for Irving going forward. Yeah, certainly. Look, this is uh, actually the third uh, tranche of, of in, uh, funding that Newmont's put into Irving. At present, I think they have just over 14% of the, the shares outstanding. Um, it really is a, a sign of support. They uh, know the project very well. Obviously, we work uh, with them on various aspects, various technical aspects, aspects including the, the geophysics and drill targeting and so forth. But um, they know uh, that Japan is you know, very well endowed with epithermal deposits of this nature. They know our business model uh, to, to basically find silica-rich veins that can be used for smelter flux, as you said earlier. 
uh, and they're they're very supportive of this overall business approach. So uh, we're we're delighted to see them continue to to step up. Uh, this placement that they've just done basically gives us a year's worth of uh, funding for we'll call it mutually agreed targets between Irving and and Newmont. So we we kind of sit down, we work, we look through uh, the data, and we come up with a, a list of all the. The things we want to tackle, and uh, this funding, this six million U.S., actually provides the funding for everything that Newmont uh, would like us to to spend money on. Uh, we are doing work at OMU, but we've also got the alliance as well. So the recent news about uh, a month and a half ago about some blight sampling we did on the Noto Peninsula, which is mm-hmm. on the west side of Honshu, actually has turned up uh, several very robust gold anomalies. And we've actually staked uh, quite a bit of ground over there, so people can look back and see that uh, it it extends beyond Omu. This is really a J- Japan-wide focus for both Newmont and Irving. Yeah. Um, so that ba- so that's you're talking about the alliance you're talking about with uh, with Newmont. Correct. Yes. Yeah, so some of the to be clear, some of the funding that uh, that Newmont has put into Irving is allocated to. Uh, looking around for new opportunities across Japan, uh, we've, for instance, consolidated several land positions in in Kyushu, the southernmost island, uh, including the Yamagano property, which is probably the one of the highest quality projects in Japan. Uh, so that funding that we got for the alliance actually went towards that, and then we've also done other work, for instance. The, the stream sediment sampling, this sampling mm-hmm. that's helped us identify some new targets. So, so again, it's it's not just about OMU, it's about working in Japan collectively and identifying, you know, high-quality targets in areas that uh, could be uh, developed into to mines. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this Yamaganda, where is that located? Yamagano is, yeah, it's down in Kyushu, so it's a southernmost island. Southern, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's actually the, one of the closest, well, it is the closest mining district to Hishikari of any any project on Japan. Okay, so the Hishikari mine, for people's uh, background, is is a very high-grade epithermal vein deposit. It's being mined by Sumitomo Metal Mining. It has been for over, well, almost 30 years, I believe, now, and it's produced uh, well over, I think it's at 8 million ounces production, something like that. It's a, a fantastic mine. They mine the rock, and they, they sort it, and then they use it for smelter flux. It's not, there's no conventional mill. There's no, um, you know, like it's not a conventional mine. You, you drive past this thing, it looks like a widget factory. But um, it is. Uh, it produces a very high quality silica smelter flux, and the gold is captured. Gold and silver are captured when they process uh, copper concentrates in a smelter. Mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal business model. It's a yeah. very cheap production. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah. So it's a business model that's proven. There's. It's. It's ongoing. Uh, is Sumitomo applying that business model now? Uh, absolutely, yes. Uh, all the you know, there's many smelters in Japan, and Sumitomo uh, and Sumitomo Metal Mining are are just a few of the smelter operators there. So there's you know probably a, a couple of dozen smelters that require silica flux. You know, so you're looking at a fairly major industry in Japan. And Yamagano, which uh, are is our project, um, is 
very, very similar to Hikari. I mean, it basically looks, geophysically, it looks very similar. Uh, we're, we're planning on doing some work there, CSAMT and so forth, uh, later this year that will help us define drill targets, but we are hoping to find the next Hikari. So without having to build a mill, I would think that the the potential time to get to get up and rolling and have some some production could be shorter than if you obviously than if you had to build a mill after you make a decision uh, to produce or not. That's right. It's it's likely going to mean a much shorter time to permit an operation. You're basically permitting a small footprint mine, and it also means uh, much lower capital. You don't have to capitalize a mill, you don't have to permit a tailings facility and all that. So, yes, it is a much, much better uh, business model. Can you talk a little bit about your plans, your exploration plans going forward this year, Quentin? Certainly. Look, um, we actually are drilling right now at uh, Omu Center. So up at Omu Project in uh, Hokkaido, it's the northernmost project. We are drilling at Omu Center. We're on our fourth hole. Uh, we will we delivered I think uh, three holes worth of uh, rock samples to the lab in Vancouver, so we're expecting some numbers back in a few weeks. Uh, the fourth hole should be completed here in the next week or two, and we'll deliver that to the assay lab. So we should should have some news out of those. As people who follow the story probably know, uh, Omu Center is one of three very high highly prospective targets we have at the uh, Omu property. Uh, we're going to start drilling up at Omui uh, in summer, but we are also working on bringing in a second rig. We've got, we think we've hatched a plan that allows us to bring in a second drill rig. And if we do, if we can pull this together, then it means we'll be drilling at Hokuria as well. So we're hopeful that we're going to drill at Hokuria, uh, say mid-year, as well as uh, Omui uh, for much of the remaining part of the year. Uh, it's really about drill drilling. At, at uh, Omu Project from here on. On top of that, we've got our geophysics plan at Yamagano. We've got follow-up work uh, on some other projects. We've done some bleg sampling and stuff we'll, we'll talk about uh, as we get results back. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's, we're in a bit of a handicap with COVID. You know, I'm not going to pretend mm-hmm. Japan has struggled. We're uh, here recently. They're experiencing their fourth wave. Uh, but we've been working within the, you know, the guidelines, the government guidelines. And we've taken uh, all the pre- necessary precautions to make sure our pro- program has not been impacted. Now, that said, uh, we have limited ability to ramp things up. You know, So, for instance, uh, looking at a second rig, we are looking within country mm-hmm. uh, because bringing Canadian drillers back and forth you know, to Japan, as you can imagine, <laughs> is not the easiest thing to do right now. <laughs> Both countries are struggling. Uh, so... You know, we've we've looked. Uh, we're adapting. Let's put it that way. And I think we'll uh, we'll have some solutions to to make sure that the program persists and we um, make both Omu and then Yamagano very successful. So we might uh, we might get some assays back uh, in a few several weeks, perhaps. Uh, that's the hope. look. Uh, we have hope. three holes in the the lab right now. Uh, barring any, I think the labs are less congested right now than they were, say, back in November. Mm-hmm. But uh, if we can get the numbers through, yeah, we should have some results from those first three holes. But then uh, the fourth hole that's in progress that'll be delivered, say, in another two weeks' time. So it'll probably be a few weeks after that, three or four weeks after, mm-hmm. uh, before we can see any numbers from that one. Mm-hmm. And your uh, your finance through this year, I guess, is what you're telling me. 
Uh, we Yeah, all the work that Newmont and Irving want to do together is fully financed. We also have cash that's allocated on our side, you know, the Irving mm-hmm. side, to, to do work that we want to do. Um, and we are looking at, if we can get the second rig, we might become more aggressive uh, mm-hmm. with, with our own plan. So, you know, stay tuned. There's some, some movement uh, underway in that department. Yeah, obviously, if you, I guess there's not a lot of uh, a lot of drilling expertise uh, there that you might have in Canada, which is why you were depending on Canadian drillers, right? It, it's funny they do have drilling companies in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them do geotechnical work and and stuff, you know, like hot spring development and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, the the number of companies that do exploration work is basically zero. Uh, Sumitomo uh-huh. Metal Mining does all their drilling in house. But we have uh, an idea of how we can extract a rig and uh-huh. from a place and get it on site. So touch wood, we might have a, a solution here to bring a second rig in soon. Well, I guess the ability to adapt to uh, uh, to challenges is something that you're not really new to. I mean, it's, it's not it's nothing new for you. So everything uh, in mining is a challenge. Today. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't it? It sure seems that way. Uh, yeah. Even even in good times, and we're having a better a better time of it now than we have. As you and I know over the years, uh, some other times have been a lot more challenging, at least from a market perspective, than this one. All right. Well, uh, anything else, Quentin, before we just keep our eyes on, on the news, I uh, guess, and drill results? Okay. I think if there's any – there is increased activity in Japan. You can see other juniors have shown up here recently. Uh, you know, we're the first – one of the first in the door here. So we've got, I think, the, the best projects in Japan um, we've got strong support, Newmont and Sumitomo Corporation, both very supportive and shareholders of the company. This is how you operate in Japan. We're doing everything right. Requires a little patience right mm-hmm. now to do the COVID, but uh, beyond that, it's all systems go. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you, Quentin, for updating us on Irving. It's certainly one that I, uh, I own shares in. It's in my newsletter. Uh, one, I think, with some patience, the patience will be rewarded, so... Uh, at least that's my hope and my belief. So thank you very much for being with us, and uh, we'll look to have you back again sometime to uh, for another update. Hopefully thank with some drill, re- some drill results, some good All ones. Right. You'll promise Looking us some it. good ones. Okay. All right. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, All right, folks. Well, that is it for this, uh, for this segment. We'll be right back with John Williams. He is going to tell us why inflation is not transitory. We'll be right back with John Williams, so don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have Walter John Williams with me again. That's John Williams. He goes by the name John. Um, but uh, John has been with us a number of times in the past. Uh, what, I, what is really remarkable about John is he comes from a, an Ivy League background. He's uh, educated uh, at Dartmouth. Uh, but unlike most people that come out of the Ivy League, uh, Ivy League schools, he's remained very independent and not owned and operated by large corporate interests. And maybe, I don't know, maybe John has done extremely well financially in, in uh, remaining independent, but a lot of times uh, it doesn't work out that way. Whatever the case is, John, is, is really I really appreciate his work because of his independence, his willingness to think uh, to think on his own and not accept uh, the propaganda that's sent his way. In fact, he is really kicked back against a lot of the uh, nonsensical numbers that he sees coming out of the out of government. And um, for that, I'm very grateful because uh, John helps those of us who don't have time to get into the weeds to understand this stuff. Uh, why maybe we shouldn't take uh, the numbers we're given from government at face value. Thanks so much, John, for joining us again. Jay, thank you so much for uh, having me. It's really good to have you, and it's shadowstats.com. Shadowstats.com is where you should go to sign up for John's very inexpensive newsletter. He provides uh, an independent data, independent uh, point of view based on data that uh, you won't get anywhere else that I'm aware of. So, uh, John, we titled the show today, Why Rising Inflation is Not Transitory. Uh, As I started to tell you before we had to go live here, Alistair McLeod, who is a frequent guest on this show, has likened the current state of affairs that the U.S. is in now to John Law's Mississippi bubble, where the French bank had to create money out of thin air to buy shares of the Mississippi company to ensure that the shares wouldn't collapse, because if they had collapsed, there would be a uh, an implosion and a depression, the likes of which was unimaginably difficult. And Alistair says the same dynamic is now in play. Uh, in the U in the U.S., such that the Fed has now in the position of having to buy enormous amounts of Treasuries to keep the interest rates from rising and to keep the equity market from falling. Although today, as we were just saying, the Dow is down over 500 points. I think it's uh, well, I'm looking at now 580 points down. So whatever they're doing seems not to be, um, it, it, you know, there seems to be some downward pressure on the markets. Indeed, uh, Michael Oliver told us at the beginning of today's show that he thinks we are topping out and getting ready for uh, what he thinks will be a layered decline, but a, but a very serious one over time. But anyway, um, do you think that analogy of the, with the John Law's Mississippi bubble, the idea that in order to keep things from falling apart, the Fed has to go in, create money out of nothing, and then use that money to support the bond market? Otherwise, interest rates would go to the moon uh, and the equity market and everything would just implode. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think, in general terms, that's uh, a, a, a pretty good analogy. The uh, uh, what, what you have here is a circumstance where the Fed is really creating uh, un, 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 unfettered money, un, unfettered money supply creation. 
mm-hmm. um, and they've been playing terrible games with the reporting on the on the money supply. Um, I follow it closely, and um, the reason my numbers are a little different is that I, I, I have no tie directly to Wall Street. I have a lot of people on Wall Street who are uh, clients, but um, I, I don't have, I don't put out a bias uh, for Wall Street, which you get with a lot of uh, uh, analysts, because uh, that's the type of stuff that sells. Mm-hmm. I try to give people an honest viewpoint. Uh, I look at uh, going back to the uh, you look at the inflation numbers back in the 1980s, uh, early 80s. The government started uh, uh, to, to redefine inflation because uh, they didn't like the way it was going. That actually goes back to uh, Nixon going off the gold standard, 7071. Uh, up until that point in time you'll find that uh, inflation stayed reasonably uh, stable versus the price of gold. Yep. And uh, after Nixon uh, abandoned gold, all of a sudden you started to see a pickup in inflation. And uh, as, and gold prices were rising as well. Mm-hmm. Gold, gold and uh, inflation tend to run together. Uh, in the uh, by the early 80s, the government was seeing too much inflation, and rather than uh, do anything ab- ab- about it uh, from a significant standpoint, what they did was they redefined inflation. They changed the uh, the way they they defined uh, the, the, the the first big change they made was the way they defined uh, uh, housing cost, big component, mm-hmm. uh, important component of the consumer price index. And up yep. until that point in time, it had included, as, as a component of the housing cost, the cost of buying a new house, which is not unreasonable to have uh-huh. that in there because some people are buying new homes as, as the process goes along here. Uh, what they did instead was they replaced it with, with what they called homeowner's equivalent rent. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the concept there was the government would estimate what the average uh, homeowner would charge himself to rent his own house from himself, yeah, and then estimate uh, how much he'd raise the, the rent each month against himself, and that was the uh, inflation cost that went into the housing element. Completely yeah. bogus number, no relationship to any reality. And mm-hmm. as these uh, the changes went along, and there are different uh, changes to methodology over the years. Um, it's aggregated to about uh, seven percentage point. So mm-hmm. that uh, right now, I guess tomorrow we're going to get the uh, uh, head- headline inflation for April. April now, uh, we're, we're already beginning to see, and I'll get into why we're beginning to see. But we're already beginning to see a significant pickup in inflation here. Uh, tomorrow, I think the, the expectations uh, month to month are for about two tenths of a percent. I, I think it'll be. Fairly well above that, maybe maybe half a percent. Um, mm-hmm. But whether or not that happens, if you get a two tenths of a percent increase, that will put up the uh, put the CPI up about um, uh, three three point six three point seven percent year to year, which will be mm-hmm. a ten year high uh, for the year to year change in the in the, in the CPI. Those uh, are the government that, numbers now, John. Just that, a, that's here now, of course. Part of the problem there, I mean, you have to balance these things out, is that a year ago you were in the midst of a uh, an oil price war, and that depressed mm-hmm. the CPI a year ago. So, what, mm-hmm. so part of the jump you're going to see there 
uh, in a year-to-year basis is because year-to-year was depressed last year by the, this oil price war. That's now behind us. The energy prices, the oil prices have all recovered uh, from that. And that is, uh, or <clears throat> at least the energy prices in the CPI have, so that it will, um, uh, you're not going to see that continuing uh, much much longer. Mm-hmm. But you have a, uh, a circumstance there that, let's say, the indeed you're up 3% year to year, with uh, the changes that have been made over time in, in, in uh, restating the headline inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the common experience would probably be up uh, about 10 percentage points year over year. Mm-hmm. Um, I find a lot of people think that's fairly realistic. Um, but you, you, I'm at a point now where you know I've been looking at the, the Fed and saying, hey, watch out, we're, we're heading into hyperinflation because of the Fed's uh, just creating uh, money beyond uh, uh, anyone's expectations. Uh, mm-hmm. The federal government is spending money, uh, a deficit spending that's just exploding. Uh, you're looking at, uh, at, at deficits now that are uh, un- un- unprecedented with our, our total, total debt exceeding the GDP for the first time in history and expanding rapidly. All those things are suggestive of a hyperinflation. And that's mm-hmm. still my fear here, and uh, I think that's what's beginning to unfold. Because mm-hmm. as I talk, I talk to people, and I have clients in all sorts of industries all over the place. Uh, um, one I have is in the chemical industry, and he, he was mm-hmm. kind enough to send me a notice. Just for for your information, uh, you know, here's a list of the uh, products we sell, and he lists all these different chemicals. Some of them were petroleum based, and we have petroleum uh, up. So much year to year, you'd expect a large surge there. A mm-hmm. lot of them weren't. Also, a large surge there as well. You know, he he was looking at increases from thirty to ninety percent year over year. His comment was, "Well, um, I'm having no trouble passing these cost increases along to my uh, uh, my, my my customers. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be going up in the CPI." I, mm-hmm. I, I've gotten and today got some similar comments from people in the construction industry terrible inflation, but guess what? It's no problem. We can pass the cost along. Uh-huh. And yeah. There's plenty of money plenty of money floating around. The Fed will just pump it into the system, and the prices can keep rising, I guess, until something breaks. Um, so, John, let me just understand. What you're suggesting is that the Fed, you're expecting the report to come out around 3.7%, something like that, and that you're, if I understand well, that, what, that, you, what you were saying, if, if your number would be... Yeah, the contents but your number would be for month 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 the equivalent on the year to year. There's about three point six, three point seven. Right, but your number would be what, John? Uh, my number would be roughly seven percentage points on top of that. So it'd be over on top of that. That's uh, I, I just 10, 11, yeah. right. that, year, that's year what I understood. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that was clear to our listeners. Oh, you you you, you got that correct, and yeah. um, that's that's generally not considered. Um, anything close to hyperinflation, but we've been seeing this, and guess what? The price of uh, gold has moved along with it. That mm-hmm. the price of gold is reflecting a similar inflation rate. But where um, where, where I'm concerned about the hyperinflation, and uh, you get all sorts of people with monet- monetary theories, and um, I'm, I'm a monetarist at heart. Uh, but you have to consider here that the um, I mean, a common 
criticism I get is that, oh, you're going to have, uh, you're going to see uh, rising inflation. That means the uh, uh, the velocity of money has to be accelerating. Mm-hmm. And um, what that means is the the, the speed, of, the, 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 you have the money supply, you have the GDP, uh, you divide the uh, money supply into the GDP, and uh, that, that's the rate at which the money supply is turning over in the GDP, and that begins to accelerate. Uh, that suggests that uh, you're, you're, you're going to see an inflation. Uh, well, mm-hmm. that would, you, you can have that because that's, if, if the money supply uh, turn, turns over in a healthy manner in, in, in the economy, uh, that suggests that it's a relatively healthy economy. You'll have economic growth, and economic growth usually uh, provides some uh, some inflation. But what we have here is a collapsed economy, and this is not because of uh, the, the normal business cycle. It is because the government shut down the economy with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, and and here you have the Fed creating all this money. Um, what what you're seeing is very low velocity of money, but that's where you, when you get a hyperinflation. If you go back to the Weimar Republic, uh, you, you look at other hyperinflation circumstances, those are not robust, booming economies. Uh, they're basically economies that have been collapsed for other reasons, and money's being pumped mm-hmm. into the system to keep the system afloat, float, and the low velocity there um, actually um, is, is what helps to trigger the, the, trigger the hyperinflation. Not, not, mm-hmm. not regular inflation. Regular inflation you get with the, you know, the more standard models. But we're we're in an extraordinary circumstance that can give you hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. And what I'm yeah, willing well, to wager here, as we talk, is that let's say we see four percent year-to-year inflation uh, tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, which would be a little bit of above consensus. It could be five percent. Mm-hmm. Um, Got some adjustment there with oil prices going back and forth, but from all that all that I'm hearing, you're going to see that picking up in the next uh, several months. And if you see that up, uh, you know, five, six percent, seven, eight percent, that is a very bad sign in terms of where this is going. I think we could begin to uh, hyperinflation uh, early in uh, 2022, and when it hits, it hits quickly. You don't mm-hmm. have too much warning with it. I've talked with people who uh, uh, lived with it through the Weimar Republic many years ago and subsequently with their children and such, and, and it hit very rapidly. Yeah. And um, yeah. overnight the shelves were empty. Um, yeah. Before well, yeah. to that point, uh, and, and I'm sure a circumstance here likely would, would, uh, would develop uh, differently, but as an example, um, you could um, go out to dinner um, and have a a wonderful bottle of wine, and uh, you might find that you had to negotiate the price of your dinner before you sat down because it had cost more after you finished. Mm -hmm. And that fancy bottle of wine, whatever it cost, the next morning would be worth more of scrap glass than it was as a fine bottle of wine. But yeah. that was still at a level where the economy was functioning, mm-hmm. um, and that's before it, it just went you know, hyperbolic and things. Oh, and everything yeah. fell apart, essentially. Well, John, do you see some? Uh, do you see some increase in velocity actually starting to occur now? Uh, 
No. Are you? Well, the, you don't the, see. If you'll pardon the language, uh, the uh, economic numbers we're seeing are nonsense. At least the aggregate ones, the GDP. Yeah. You look at the payroll numbers. Uh, that's the payroll numbers are closer to reality. The problem with the GDP and the way that gets reported. And again, this is. I used to be just a simple economist. I, I projected uh, where things were going with the economy. So then I sold my services accordingly, and I had I, I had econometric models that uh, had lead times where you could plug in actual numbers. That was mm-hmm. that's where I started, and I, I, mm-hmm. I made up made a good business with that. But then then the government uh, began mucking with its numbers, changing its CPI, changing the way it calculated the GDP, which made my uh, models that are worthless in, mm-hmm. in terms of forecasting what was really happening. Uh, so I, what, what I uh, early, con- early on concentrated on was uh, getting beyond uh, all the nonsense that they were putting into the uh, the headline numbers and, and giving an estimate of where the headline numbers uh, were. So that you had a, uh, what, what I found that the, not only did they understate the inflation, but of course with the GDP, they redefined the inflation in the GDP, mm-hmm. and the nice thing about in low in, using low inflation is that headline economic numbers, be it the real GDP or if you look at real retail yeah. sales, that's the nominal number divided by the inflation rate. And if you have too low an inflation rate, that boosts the right uh, the headline growth, real growth. Sure. So we're, what we're seeing a GDP that is inflated beyond uh, reality here. Mm-hmm. And it's um, the best I can see we're, we're, as headlined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we just got the first quarter GDP number. Uh, we're still shy of a 3.5% annualized quarterly growth of taking that to a recovery level. Recovery here is defined as reclaiming the pre-pandemic peak or the, pre, the pre-recession peak. Uh-huh. Um, I think we're about 5% further below that. We're a way, ways off from... Uh, recovering in, in reality, and actually, given the, given the uh, employment numbers, uh, you may very well see a stalled uh, a second quarter GDP, even a contraction in the uh, third and fourth quarter. This mm-hmm. is not normal economy. Uh, it's we, we were we did not have a normal economic slowdown. We don't have a a normally functioning economy, and you're not going to have a normal recovery. Uh, you, you have a circumstance here where the uh, there's been terrible damage done to the average individual, the average industry. Uh, yeah, you can you can have all sorts of hype, and a lot of the numbers they they they, they put put forth in the GDP, which I think is still at this point largely guessed at. They don't have really good hard numbers. Mm-hmm. Yet they're not getting quality reporting. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, where you do have good quality reporting, the numbers look bad, such as with the trade deficit hitting record levels, and that's a that's a big yeah. negative to right. GDP. Right. It's not, not not as advertised, and I, yeah. I think you'll see that headline numbers will be slowing down. It's not a happy circumstance for the administration. It's not a happy uh, circumstance for the Fed, because they, they don't like to be pumping money into into something like this. But that's what they're doing. They have to. John, if inflation numbers, John, if inflation numbers are picking up, John, if inflation yeah. numbers are picking up, um, 
interest rates are going to rise. Doesn't the Fed have to start printing more and more money to keep the interest rates uh, subdued? Well, um, yeah. The, normally, there is. Uh, that, that's what happens with uh, interest rates. They, they they build themselves on top of uh, on top of the inflation. But if they uh, they don't necessarily report the inflation, and the Fed keeps the they they they, they try to understate it, I and mean, they are understating it from you know, yeah. consistent historically over time. Um, uh, I don't see that the Fed is uh, is, is necessarily going to start raising rates. Mm-hmm. I think both the Fed and the federal government are going to continue whatever they have to do to try and spark, stimulate whatever mm-hmm. economic activity they can. They can't afford to let the economy uh, collapse, which it effectively has in still in, ma- in many areas. It's not not as uh, quite as advertised. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, what I'm looking for is a... It's a very simple, simply a hyperinflationary uh, uh, economic crash. It is. We're beginning to see the rising inflation. We're beginning to see the faltering recovery from this uh, terrible pandemic circumstance. Um, it's not the report of. It's not not, not the fault of government policies uh, per, per se that got us into it. Uh, but they're going to uh, do everything they can to. Uh, uh, keep it uh, collapsing further where it does more damage to the infrastructure. John, we only have a couple of minutes left, so I, re- I really want to uh, get to the question that we're trying to answer today. I think you've greatly answered, partly answered at least, and that is, uh, I, I, I know that you believe that inflation is not transitory, um, but tell us why you could what what could cause you to be wrong about that? What could cause your hyperinflationary theory to be wrong, or that the Fed could be right and this is uh, that it is only transitory? It, can you see any possible way that could be the case? Well, that- well the, the, the the inflation is largely monetary, and if the Fed can find that it can cut back on its uh, monetary expansion, I mean, well, right now what they what they did was they. It changed the, re- the reporting of M1 so that you wouldn't see that it was growing 70-80% uh-huh. right. here. Uh, right. I've just, I've, I've just redefined M1 to its old 80% of what it used to be, which is the just cash and uh, deposits. That was the original M1. That's still growing 60-70-80%. Wow. What they what defined it to as M2 is down around 20-30%. Uh, as long as they're, they're stimulating the economy as they are. And what if you look at the monetary base, and we've got that for April, although they haven't published the monthly average, uh, you're, you're seeing a surge there in, the, in, in, uh, in, in, in both the currency in circulation and the reserves with the Federal Reserve banks. That surge in the, um, in the reserves is an indication that there's problems in the banking system. Mm-hmm. And the banking system problems are, are growing, and, and as long as that's happening, they're not going to pull back here. Uh, yeah. they'll, they'll do whatever they have to do to keep the banking system afloat, and I think that's going to require continued, continual infusion of funds yeah. into the system. Right. So they can't it's afford. Back, they, yes, they can't. A, they, they cannot afford to cut it off, right, John? Sorry. They can, they cannot afford to cut off the monetary system. They can't afford to stop the money flowing faster and faster. No, they can't. Okay, the, the, that's the, the bottom line. Then. They know the they know the, the the inflation risk, but they they view the risk of uh, absolute financial collapses greater. 
Okay, John, we're going to have to leave it go at that because we're out of time already. I, I think that uh, you've answered our question. Uh, they, there's no there's no choice but to keep printing money more and more faster and faster. And I, I know they, they can't allow the interest rates to spike up. Uh, it's just it's going to be lethal, I think, from every all, almost every direction. That's my read of it. And I think that your work really supports that theory. And uh, I can... I can understand the hyperinflationary thesis. I don't like it, but it is what it is, John. Thank you so much uh, for helping us today understand what's uh, what we're facing here. It's it's greatly appreciated, folks. That is well, all we have. You, all Jay, the time. Uh, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, John. Well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. Next week, Kevin Duffy of the Coffee Can Portfolio will be my guest, along with Carl Lefberg. He is the Firefox Gold Corps uh, president. So we'll be right back. Uh, we'll be uh, with you next week. Uh, with those two guests. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 